0: Section 53 of Marion Fay by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Volume 3, Chapter 10. After all, he isn't. Six weeks passed by, and nothing special had yet been done to arrange George Roden's affairs for him in the manner suggested by Lady Persiflage. It's a kind of thing that must be settled for a man by, by, by those who know how to settle it. That had been her counsel when she was advocating delay. No doubt things often do arrange themselves better than men or women can arrange them. Objections which were at first very strong gradually fade away. Ideas which were out of the question become possible. Time quickly renders words and names, and even days, habitual to us. In this, Lady Persiflage had not been unwise. It was quite probable that a young man should become used to a grand name quicker than he had himself expected. But nothing had as yet been done in the right direction when the first of June had come. Attempts had been made towards increasing the young man's self importance of which he himself had been hardly aware. Lord Persiflage had seen Sir Boreas Bodkin, and Vivian had seen the private secretary of the Postmaster General. As the first result of these interviews, our clerk was put to sit in a room by himself and called upon to manage some separate branch of business in which he was free from contact with the crockers and bobbins of the department it might it was thought be possible to call a man a duke who sat in a separate room even though he were still a clerk but as sir boreas had observed there were places to be given away secretaryships inspectorships surveyorships and such like into one of which the duke if he would consent to be a duke might be installed before long the primary measure of putting him into a room by himself had already been carried out then a step was taken of which george roden had ground to complain there was a certain club in london called the foreigners made up half of Englishmen and half of men of other nations, which was supposed to stand very high in the world of fashion. Nearly every member was possessed of either grand titles before his name or of grand letters after it. Something was said by Vivian to George Roden as to this club, but no actual suggestion was made, and certainly no assent was given. Nevertheless, the name of the Duca di Cronola was put down in the candidate book, as proposed by Baron d'Assi, and seconded by Lord Persiflage. There it was, so that all the world would declare that the young Duca was the Duca. Otherwise, the name would not have been inserted there by the Italian minister and British secretary of state, whereas George Roden himself knew nothing about it. In this way attempts were made to carry out that line of action which Lady Persiflage had recommended. Letters, too, were delivered to Roden addressed to the Duca di Cronola, both at Holloway and at the post office. No doubt he refused them when they came. No doubt they generally consisted of tradesmen's circulars, and were probably occasioned by manoeuvres of which Lady Persiflage herself was guilty but they had the effect of spreading abroad the fact that george roden was george roden no longer but was the duca di Cronola. there's letters coming for the Duker every day said the landlady of the duchess to mrs duffer of paradise row i see them myself i shan't stand on any p's and q's i shall call him Duker to his face Paradise Row determined generally to call him Duker to his face, and did so frequently, to his great annoyance. Even his mother began to think that his refusal would be in vain. I don't see how you're to stand out against it, George. Of course, if it wasn't so, you'd have to stand out against it. But as it is the fact... It is no more a fact with me than with you, he said angrily. Nobody dreams of giving me a title. If all the world agrees, you will have to yield. Sir Boreas was as urgent. He had always been very friendly with the young clerk, and had now become particularly intimate with him. Of course, my dear fellow, he said, I shall be guided entirely by yourself. Thank you, sir. If you tell me you're George Roden, George Roden, you'll be to me, but I think you're wrong, and I think, moreover, that the good sense of the world will prevail against you. As far as I understand anything of the theory of titles, this title belongs to you. The world never insists on calling a man a lord or a count for nothing. There's too much jealousy for that. But when a thing is so, people choose that it shall be so, All this troubled him, though it did not shake his convictions, but it made him think again and again of what Lady Persiflage had said to him down at Castle Hoboy. Will it be honest on your part to ask her to abandon the rank which she will be entitled to expect from you? If all the world conspired to tell him that he was entitled to take this name, then the girl whom he intended to marry would certainly be justified in claiming it it undoubtedly was the fact that titles such as these were dear to men, and especially dear to women. As to this girl who was so true to him, was he justified in supposing that she would be different from others simply because she was true to him? He had asked her to come down, as it were, from the high pedestal of her own rank, and to submit herself to his lowly lot. She had consented, and there never had been to him a moment of remorse in thinking that he was about to injure her. But as Chance had brought it about in this way, as Fortune had seemed determined to give back to her that of which he would have deprived her, was it right that he should stand in the way of Fortune? Would it be honest on his part to ask her to abandon these fine names which Chance was putting in her way? That it might be so, should he be pleased to accept what was offered to him, did become manifest to him. It was within his power to call himself, and to have himself called, by this new name. It was not only the party of the Crockers. Others now were urgent in persuading him. The matter had become so far customary to him as to make him feel that, if he would simply put the name on his card, and cause it to be inserted in the directories, and write a line to the officials, saying that for the future he would wish to be so designated, the thing would be done. He had met Baron d'Assy, and the Baron had acknowledged that an Englishman could not be converted into an Italian duke without his own consent, but had used very strong arguments to show that, in this case, the Englishman ought to give his consent the baron had expressed his own opinion that the signorina would be very much ill-used indeed if she were not allowed to take her place among the duchessinas his own personal feelings were in no degree mitigated to be a post-office clerk living at holloway with a few hundreds a year to spend and yet to be known all over the world as the claimant of a magnificently grand title it seemed as though a cruel fate had determined to crush him with a terrible punishment because of his specially democratic views that he of all the world should be selected to be a duke in opposition to his own wishes how often had he been heard to declare that all hereditary titles were of their very nature absurd and yet he was to be forced to become a penniless hereditary duke Nevertheless, he would not rob her, whom he hoped to make his wife, of that which would of right belong to her. Fanny, he said to her one day, you cannot conceive how many people are troubling me about this title. I know they are troubling me, but I would not mind any of them, only for papa. Is he very anxious about it? I am afraid he is, Have I ever told you what your aunt said to me just before I left Castle Hoboy? Lady Persiflage, you mean? She is not my aunt, you know. She is more anxious than your father, and certainly uses the only strong argument I have heard. Has she persuaded you? I cannot say that, but she has done something towards persuading me. She has made me half think that it may be my duty. "'Then I suppose you will take the name?' she said. "'It shall depend entirely upon you, and yet I ought not to ask you. I ought to do as these people bid me, without even troubling you for an expression of your wish. I do believe that, when you become my wife, you will have as complete a right to the title as has Lady Kingsbury to hers. Shall it be so?' "'No,' she said.' It shall not? Certainly no, if it be left to me. Why do you answer in that way when all your friends desire it? Because I believe that there is one friend who does not desire it. If you can say that you wish it on your own account, of course I will yield. Otherwise all that my friends may say on the matter can have no effect on me. When I accepted the offer which you made me, I gave up all idea of rank. I had my reasons, which I thought to be strong enough. At any rate, I did so, and now, because of this accident, I will not be weak enough to go back. As to what Lady Persiflage says about me, do not believe a word of it. You certainly will not make me happy by bestowing on me a name which you do not wish me to bear and which will be distasteful to yourself. After this, there was no longer any hesitation on Roden's part, though his friends, including Lord Persiflage, the Baron, Sir Boreas, and Crocker, were as active in their endeavours as ever for some days he had doubted, but now he doubted no longer. They might address to him what letters they would, they might call him by what nickname they pleased, they might write him down in what book they chose, he would still keep the name of George Roden as she had protested that she was satisfied with it. It was through Sir Boreas that he learnt that his name had been written down in the club candidate book as Duca di Cronola. Sir Boreas was not a member of the club but had heard what had been done, probably at some club of which he was a member. "'I am glad to hear that you are coming up at the foreigners,' said Aeolus. "'But I am not. I was told last night that Baron Dossi had put your name down as Duca di Cronola.' Then Roden discovered the whole truth. How the Baron had proposed him, and the Foreign Secretary had seconded him— without even going through the ceremony of asking him. Upon my word, I understood that you wished it, Vivian said to him. Upon this, the following note was written to the Foreign Secretary. Mr. Roden presents his compliments to Lord Persiflage, and begs to explain that there has been a misunderstanding about the foreigners' club. Mr. Roden feels very much the honor that has been done him, and is much obliged to lord persiflage but as he feels himself not entitled to the honour of belonging to the club he will be glad that his name should be taken off mr roden takes the opportunity of assuring lord persiflage that he does not and never will claim the name which he understands to have been inscribed in the club books he is a confounded ass said lord persiflage to the baron as he did as he was bid at the club. The baron shrugged his shoulders, as though acknowledging that his young fellow nobleman certainly was an ass. There are men, baron, whom you can't help, let you struggle ever so much. This man has had stuff enough in him to win for himself a very pretty girl with a good fortune and high rank and yet he is such a fool that he won't let me put him altogether on his legs when the opportunity comes. Not long after this, Roden called at the house in Park Lane and asked to see the Marquis. As he passed through the hall, he met Mr. Greenwood, coming very slowly down the stairs. The last time he had met the gentleman had been in that very house, when the gentleman had received him on behalf of the Marquis. The Marquis had not condescended to see him, but had deputed his chaplain to give him whatever ignominious answer might be necessary to his audacious demand for the hand of Lady Frances. On that occasion Mr. Greenwood had been very imperious. Mr. Greenwood had taken upon himself almost the manners of the master of the house. Mr. Greenwood had crowed as though the dunghill had been his own. George Roden even then had not been abashed having been able to remember through the interview that the young lady was on his side but he had certainly been very severely treated he had wondered at the moment that such a man as lord kingsbury should confide so much of his family matters to such a man as mr greenwood since then he had heard something of mr greenwood's latter history from lady frances lady frances had joined with her brother in disliking mr greenwood and all that hampstead had said to her had been passed on to her lover since that last interview the position of the two men had been changed the chaplain had been turned out of the establishment and george roden had been almost accepted into it as a son-in-law as they met on the foot of the staircase it was necessary that there should be some greeting the post-office clerk bowed very graciously but mr greenwood barely acknowledged the salutation there said he to himself as he passed on that's the young man that's done all the mischief it's because such as he are allowed to make their way in among noblemen and gentlemen that england is going to the dogs Nevertheless, when mr Greenwood had first consented to be an inmate of the present Lord Kingsbury's house, Lord Kingsbury had, in spite of his order, entertained very liberal views. The Marquis was not in a good humour when Roden was shown into his room. He had been troubled by his late chaplain, and he was not able to bear much troubles easily. mr Greenwood had said words to him which had vexed him sorely, and these words had in part referred to his daughter and his daughter's lover no i'm not very well he said in answer to roden's inquiries i don't think i ever shall be better what is it about now i have come my lord said roden because i do not like to be here in your house under a false pretense a false pretense what false pretense i hate false pretenses so do i what do you mean by a false pretense now i fear that they have told you lord kingsbury that should you give me your daughter as my wife you will give her to the duca di crinola the marquis who was sitting in his armchair, shook his head from side to side and moved his hands uneasily but made no immediate answer i cannot quite tell my lord what your own ideas are because we have never discussed the subject i don't want to discuss it just at present said the marquis but it is right that you should know that i do not claim the title and never shall claim it others have done so on my behalf but with no authority from me i have no means to support the rank in the country to which it belongs nor as an Englishman am I entitled to assume it here. "'I don't know that you're an Englishman,' said the Marquis. "'People tell me that you're an Italian.' "'I have been brought up as an Englishman, and have lived as one for five-and-twenty years. I think it would be difficult now to rob me of my rights. Nobody, I fancy, will try. I am and shall be George Roden, as I always have been.' I should not, of course, trouble you with the matter, were it not that I am a suitor for your daughter's hand. Am I right in supposing that I have been accepted here by you in that light? This was a question which the Marquis was not prepared to answer at the moment. No doubt the young man had been accepted. Lady Frances had been allowed to go down to Castle Hoboy to meet him as her lover. All the family had been collected to welcome him at the London mansion. The newspapers had been full of mysterious paragraphs in which the future happy bridegroom was sometimes spoken of as an Italian duke and sometimes as an English post-office clerk. "'Of course he must marry her now,' the Marquis had said to his wife with much anger. "'It's all your sister's doings,' he had said to her again." He had, in a soft moment, given his affectionate blessing to his daughter in special reference to her engagement. He knew that he couldn't go back from it now, and, had it been possible, would have been most unwilling to give his wife such a triumph. But yet he was not prepared to accept the post-office clerk simply as a post-office clerk. "'I am sorry to trouble you at this moment, Lord Kingsbury, if you are not well.' "'I ain't well at all. I am very far from well. If you don't mind, I'd rather not talk about it just at present. When I can see Hampstead, then, perhaps, things can be settled.' As there was nothing further to be said, George Roden took his leave. End of section 53. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.